We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hello, hello, hello. So uh, I'm wondering, uh, Jay, are you astrological or are you meteorological? Um, She's like, like, why in the world are you asking me this question? I'm asking you that because, you know, for a lot of people, they said June 1st is the first day of summer. But it depends on if you are an astrological person or if you are a meteorologist logical person so do you consider june 1st to be the first day of summer Uh, i consider the fastest way to get to summer so i guess yes yes i'm an astrological person you are meteorological because the fastest way to get to summer is by simply saying we have four seasons and for the most part when the temperatures change then we are shifting into another season And so the meteorological people are the ones who say first day of summer, June 1st. Okay. Count me in. Astrological folks say that it is really according to like the summer solstice and the highest point the sun is um, throughout the year. And that happens to be on Tuesday, June 21st at 514 in the morning. So. That Tuesday morning, I don't know who's going to be up sipping on their coffee, but at 5.14 a.m. Eastern, the sun will be at its highest point ever throughout the year. And to the people that are astrological, that is the first day of summer. I don't know if it really makes a difference. All I know is it's warm. It feels great. I'm loving it. How are you? I am wonderful. And actually on June 21st, I will be on my way to Portland, Oregon to see my son. Yes. Um, So that makes me even happier. Even happier. So you know what? You might want to start the day at 514. (laughs) It doesn't matter what time the flight is. You just may want to start that smile and that happiness at 514 a.m. But speaking of summer, that's the time like everyone is like festive. They're feeling great. Um, you know, they don't have to, to rock a whole lot of clothing. I mean, it's just like summer is really a special time for a lot of people really, really, really feel, I don't know. We just feel different, relieved, free. Um, plans you got in addition to traveling to Portland, you have any other plans? Oh yeah. I mean, you know me, I'm never going to let the, uh, the grass grow under my feet for too long. So um, we'll be hopping out to Portland. Uh, Got NILG in Boston, going to London, going to Scotland. I'm going to see what other trouble I can uh, con my husband into getting into with me. But um, as much of the time on the road as I can, 
spending time with uh, with friends and family when we're home here in Indiana. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I got to curl up with a couple of new good books. And let me tell you, I, I want to make sure this summer, this is, um, you know, my right hand to God. Um, I'm not reading any diversity books this summer. Like, I don't want to read anything dealing with our space. I want to get outside of our space. I want to curl up, you know, as they would say, not necessarily curl up, but I, I want to spend some time trying to um, take in some other stuff. Like, I'm going to challenge myself to read um, something dealing with politics so I have a better understanding of why some of these people act and respond in the ways that they do. And don't ask me, I don't have a title you know, um, in mind, if you will, I just know that I want to read a book on politics. I'm also going to stay away from books on race. Like I don't want to read anything dealing with race, uh, racial structure, racial constructs. I don't want to deal with anything. I I just want, I want to see if I can pull from some areas that I don't necessarily pull from. So some, some good books is on my list. Definitely some travel is on the list. A little bit of great travel. Going to see grandmother, grandma in a couple of weeks, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, Eric B. Uh, I'm sorry, not Eric B., but Rakim was like, he, he's definitely in the top five of my rappers. And, and he had a song out, Microphone Fiend, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And... Uh, let's see if we can wreck a couple of microphones. Now, what don't you want to see this summer? Um. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Well, I think deep, deep breath, deep, yeah. deep, deep breath, deep breath, because I probably flirted with it already with one of the things that I want to do. Yeah. So I, I don't want to see the SCOTUS opinion coming out overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, I think it. I think it's June or July. Um, and that, you know, we all know how I feel about that, but I think that's going to lead to a lot of other, um, infringements on the rights of people who are not white and male, uh, especially women and, and, uh, people, sorry, I'm reading your note. I'm going to have to cut that out for a second. Keep going. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think the SCOTUS opinion is going to be a huge setback uh, for our country. I saw a interview this week with uh, is it Margaret Atwood, uh, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, okay. uh, who is saying, I, I didn't think that I was writing my future um, when I wrote this book back in the 1980s. And here we are. And it's very, very true. Um but I do think there is one thing that we all have to do this summer, um, which is watch the January 6th hearings, which will be starting this week, uh, June 9th, uh, I think sometime around 8 p.m. Uh, Bernie Thompson will be coming out and starting those. Um, so, yeah, SCOTUS, that's what I don't want to experience this summer. Hope that gas prices and inflation start to get a little bit better uh, a little bit more under control i don't know what about you what do you you don't you, you, you you actually uh you you forced me to bring up something that i had um stumbled on this weekend when i was uh preparing for the show and over on bloomberg 
there is an article, uh, it's June 5th, Mike Dorning and Billy Howells wrote an article and it's titled, Capital Riot Apologists Go Unpunished as Memories of Horror Fade. Uh, and then the subtitle says, Congress plans televised hearings on the Capitol attack, but voters have forgotten. They've been rewarding election deniers. Yes. And so you 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 raise a good point around that event that took place almost, you know, 18, 19 months ago, something like that. Yep. Yeah. And just to um, add to your book list for this summer, Rat Fucked. Um, that book is it's about gerrymandering, basically, but it it will inform you um, why we are more divided. And why we have politicians who don't have to listen to us right now. Hmm. Why? You, you just said a mouthful. Why we have politicians that don't have to listen to us. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. What I don't want to see this summer, um, I'm hoping, you know, um, I'm hoping that we don't see widespread violence and um, no midsummer surprises, you know, with all of this travel and folks feeling a bit free. Uh, I know I, I've been to a number of places here in Baltimore over the last several days, hardly a mask in sight, you know, certainly they are becoming less frequent in some places still there, but you know, you would, you would look up two months ago and eight out of 10 people would have them have a mask on. Now it might be four or five out of the same 10 people. So it's certainly changing. And I don't want to see a, a spike in COVID, you know, um, just numbers, deaths, none of that stuff. So that's and what I'm no hoping that we box. can. Yeah. And no monkey pox. <laughs> yeah. And I forgot about the little spider thing. You remember the jumping spiders or something like oh, that? A couple. Yes. Yeah. We forgot all about that. See, see how we do have short memories mm -hmm. and. Yeah. So anyway, let's get into some of the stories. So Sheryl Sandberg announced that she will step down from her role as Meta's COO later this fall. She actually, I didn't know this. Um, you may have known this. I didn't know this, Jay, but she developed the business model that actually made Facebook not just a popular platform, but a powerful, powerful, powerful platform. I didn't know that it was her genius, her her mind behind shaping the uh platform. Did you know that? Uh I I did just because I am very interested in politics, so I've been watching how Facebook and social media influences our politics since the 08 um election and actually I didn't realize though that she has been with Facebook since 2008 14 yeah. years is that right yeah something um, like that yep. yep yeah so an incredibly long time um i think you know probably what 2010 or so her book lean in uh came out and is certainly on my bookshelf uh still even though i probably don't feel the same way about cheryl as i do now um, so, so why not why not talk about that why not I, and I'm always like hesitant to kind of say these things out loud, but because I think that too often women are made the villains in stories when 
it's not entirely the the case, but you know, she's been a big piece of disinformation, misinformation, the spread of political discourse that is no longer civil. Um, had a lot to do with Cambridge Analytica, had a lot to do with um, other non-US-based political scandals because of the business model and because they knew that they had data that this was happening and they didn't come forward. And she's the one that has been the stronger of the two between her and Zuckerberg to come out and defend Facebook and say, yeah, we did what we did. Um, So she becomes the villain in the story. Um, and she rightly has some place there, but probably not the, the full villainry that she'll get. Yeah. Well, you know, and speaking of that villainry, I like that. Uh, she did, she shouldered so much of the blame, uh, for some of Facebook scandals that you, you mentioned, you said 2008, uh, but I believe it probably hit a height in the 2016 election. And so she shouldered a good, good portion of that blame for how folks were looking at that disinformation, how data was being used and leveraged uh, by the organization. And, you know, again, for, for some, you know, just the power and the swag that she had inside of the organization for a lot of people, their opinion of her has has shifted. And and then but there's others, you know, Julie, that say that. um she refined what it meant to be a working woman. Like she changed that paradigm. She changed that perception that, that assumption. she, she changed what we assumed to be a working woman, what was acceptable to be a working woman. And she largely did it through her book, um, which came out in 2013. So I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder, I, I wonder, you know, I think about her, I think about people like Carly Fiorini. Uh, I think about, you remember that? Meg Whitman. I think about Meg Whitman trying to think of some of the other powerful women of the past. Well, she's current. She's, she's Ah. more current. I was kind of looking back and, and, and saying to myself, powerful women in business, where are they now in terms of our opinion of them historically? You know, do we still look back at them? Like for instance, when you think about, uh, Jack Welch, a lot of people, um, they placed him on a pedestal, you know, like he was this great, great leader. And then five, 10, 15 years post his retirement, you start to hear the stories around why we now have so much outsourcing in the U S because a lot of leaders were following that lead 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And now you ask yourself, well, if it wasn't for that period where where he did it and others followed. So I just say to myself, I wonder, I wonder um, if the book really had the impact and, and if our perception of a working woman will be different 10, 5, 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. And, and I think, and I, such an interesting sort of look back now, because I read that book right when it came out, um, and to me, the most important part of the whole book was having a great partner. And that was where we really needed to, I focused my energy on, right? Is like having a partner that's an equal, that supports you as a woman who's driven 
Um, but post-pandemic, I even read it a little bit differently. Um, is, you know, it was sort of like this lean into being a, a, a bad bitch, like, hey, I'm going to run, I'm going to get what I want, I'm going to make my money, I'm going to lean into my career. And it doesn't feel like the way I want to live anymore. And so even in a, if, if Sheryl Sandberg wasn't the villain in Facebook story, um, is her leaning in the, the woman that I want to be, the, the leader that I want to be? And the truth is probably not. Um, and I, I read that with a more mature, I think, thought process now that I've been through what we've been through in the past two, two and a half years. Well, you know, that's such a great segue because, you know, the second story that I wanted us to talk about today had something to do with, um, with health and, and mental health and going back to the way that things were. Um, and, and actually the way that I had wrote it was let's not go back to normal. You, you just said it, you know, you're asking yourself, is that really the person that I want to be? Is that the type of leader that I'm, I'm attempting to, to show my children, to show my colleagues, to show others that I, I bump into in the industry? Um, is that the person that I want to personify? Is that, is that what I want to project? And there's a new survey out from the future forum, which found that work related stress, uh, has, re has reached its highest level. Work-related stress has reached its highest level. I mean, like crazy since the summer of 2020. Yeah, I, I love this survey. I, I can't, I'm so glad that you found it. So the Future Forum Pulse surveyed what? Almost 11,000 knowledge workers, so office workers, um, in the U.S., in Australia, France, Germany, Japan, and the U.K., um, and found that we're not really happy to go back to the way things used to be. Yeah. Especially headed back into the office full time. I asked myself, what is it, what is it that we experienced? No, let me say it differently. Why is it that we are ignoring what I believed we experienced? Like there, I think much of the data says we had been productive during the pandemic. Sure, there's those offshoots of missed meetings and that um, the camaraderie that we had at the water fountain and, you know, going down the elevator laughing about a particular meeting or who said something funny. We missed that. But I think in large part, Jay, the data suggests that companies were productive. I, I, here, here's what's interesting. During the pandemic, and, and I want you to think about this for a moment. During the pandemic, did we hear about a number of companies forced to go through layoffs and downsizings because business was severely impacted or interrupted? I don't recall that. So, I mean, yes, we lost jobs, but they were in service sectors because we couldn't do things. And the economy has made up, right, most of those jobs. So we are rehiring and outpacing what was lost as we shift back to normal service-driven economy that we are. But for office workers, 
right? I, well, not even for office workers, but companies are still making record profits. They were making record profits during the the pandemic. They're making it now. And I don't understand this, like, now we've got to shove everybody back into the office mentality. And we're hearing it everywhere, right? You're hearing, I think, Mark Cuban, a bunch of CEOs. It's like they're starting the the marketing campaign of how we can't get things done if we're not all together. We can't have a great culture if we're not all together. Like, just didn't even hear the words that, that were being said, you know, 24 months ago. Um, to now just get everybody back in the office where we can see them, where we can control them, and we can make sure that we're getting every last drop out of them that we can. <laughs> yeah, Jamie Dimon is on record for saying that. Um, uh, I forget how he started the uh, the quote, but basically he said that working at um, J.P. Morgan Chase is not for the hustle mentality. Those that want to have the side hustle, the side hustle mentality. J.P. Morgan Chase is not for the side hustle mentality. And it's actually recently come out that they were, you know, looking at employee data, they were counting, you know, how many times you swiped your badge and went into the office, how long you have been staying there and a couple of other data points around that presence. But going back to that future form post survey, they actually looked at or talked to collected data from more than 10,000 knowledge workers. And when we talk about knowledge workers, people that, you know, are creative thinking, thought, leaders, if you will, inside of their organization. And they touched them from the US, Australia, France, Germany, Japan, and the UK between January and February. So it was really about a little more than a month. It actually was a little less than a month when they asked them questions. And, you know, all of these individuals worked about 30 hours or, or more a week, and they were responsible for work with data, analyzing information, and thinking creatively. And, um, I don't know. I think it's a problem. I, I just think there's a problem when we know that a lot of people are struggling mentally with all of the decisions around whether or not to be in the office place, how they show up and do their work. Uh, and we are seemingly as leaders ignoring that aspect. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, speaking of the the Jamie Diamonds of the world, um, the most interesting part of the survey findings for me was the double standard for the C-suite. So um, non-executive employees um, are nearly twice as likely as executives to be working from the office five days a week. So they want us in the office, but they're not coming back to the office. Um, saying that their work-life balance is now 40% worse than that of their boss. Plumbing, plummeting at five times the rate of executives. So that is really, to me, that's the telling part. Yeah. We, we yeah. aren't listening to our people. We're forcing everybody back into the box. And then we're not living by those same standards as, as the C-suite. You know, a quick way to end this is um, just to hear from the CEO of Headspace, Mr. Russell Glass. He says that we know workers are struggling and we caught a clip of him in conversation at the mental health summit from last month. Let's have a listen. Well, one of the reasons that we exist and put Headspace Health together is because there's this huge supply demand imbalance in the world. There are far more people who have a need for care 
than there are providers to deliver that care. And that has led to the World Health Organization estimates that of the billion people with a mental health condition today, 70% are not getting support. They're not getting care. Cool. So um, as you were saying, it's just vital that we listen to our colleagues, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. We have to listen to what our team need what our individual employees need and you know just like we talked about how great hybrid and flexible work was going to be for underrepresented communities moms people with disabilities parents all other kinds of of people who don't fit in that box um this is going to negatively affect them and and the pulse survey does a nice job of pointing that out um and what women are looking for, what people are looking for is the flexibility to have a better work-life balance. And it's going to be, I I think you and I talked about this, God, I bet it's been a year ago, is we wondered what the post-pandemic swing would be like. We go to one extreme, they'll try to force us back to the other extreme, and we'll land somewhere um, in the middle, but it's not going to be to the benefit of the worker long-term. Not going to be to the benefit of the worker long-term. Great way to end the first part of the show. Promise, quick commercial, and we'll be right back. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. In a flash, apparently I'll have a bit more to say in London regarding pressure to hide. 60% of women of color in the UK feel pressured to hide their identities in order to fit in at their workplace, according to a new survey from the Fawcett Society. Identity defined as clothes, hair, and language. I repeat, clothing, hair, and language for those of you in the back. And against all the data, The widely used four-letter word, data, Tesla CEO Elon Musk has announced a work-from-home ban for Tesla executives. Musk will now require a minimum 40-hour work week in the office, arguing that work-from-home employees aren't as productive. We just talked about that. Will workers comply or will they look for flexible work opportunities elsewhere? And did someone just use the word flexible? Rumor has it that in the UK's airports, they have been a mess for weeks. Considering Jay and I are headed to the UK in a couple of weeks, we hope that they get that together. Apparently, uh, their embattled tour operator executives were on workations. I don't know what a workation is, but um, anyway, Britain has become a nation of idlers too keen to go on holiday and simply not willing to go to work. That's what Ross Clark has said. Um, And don't ask me who Ross Clark is because I don't know. I don't know him and neither do you, but you do know your colleagues. Remember, what it was like to have fun with your colleagues 
absolutely, June is a great month for you to have a sip and paint session to end the week. And finally, for those of you that like Bridgerton, this headline hit my computer. Britain still has a chance of avoiding the terrible fate of America and France. Now, I think my Mac is spying on me. Anyway, the headline is attached to a story that touches on how the Queen has saved Britain from decline. Now, let's finish off this episode. So, we talked um, up top about Sheryl Sandberg. I, I don't know. I mean, you 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 hesitated just a tad bit to say, you know, what you said out loud because you said you feel like oftentimes the women are made the uh, the villain. Um, and they're not deserving of being such. H- how do you think history is going to look at Sheryl Sandberg five, ten years from now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think she will probably be the the, the villain in our on our stories, right? The villain in our history books, uh, because she has been more forward, more out there, more willing to go on record to say to defend the the practices of of the Facebook team. Um, and it'll be interesting, you know, as more and more information comes out about how social media companies run, what they know, what they know about us and who they have sold that information to. Um, I think there will be a lot more villains, but I do think she will be one of them. You know, what's funny. uh, And this just goes to show you that sometimes we process, we, we, we take in information and the way that we process it, 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 it should be called to question. This is on me right here. As much as I know the name Mark Zuckerberg is different from Sheryl Sandberg, I cannot tell you, Julie, how long it took for me to not think that the two of them were a couple. Really? Full transparency. Because I never spent time going into... You know, well, who who is Mark Zuckerberg, you know, dating or, you know, in relationship with same with, you know, Sheryl Sandberg. I never spent time prying into her personal life because for me, a person's personal life is really irrelevant. I'm I'm evaluating you on that public persona, that business persona. That's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm engaging with. I'm engaging with the stories around your decision-making, how you position the organization, your marketing prowess, your acumen. Those are the things that really get me excited, if you will. Like, you know, whether bad or good, it's what gets my attention. That's the headline that gets my attention. I'm not really stuck and mired in gossip and you know, what car person bought or they're rocking red bottoms. I don't give a shit about none of that. That stuff does not in any way impress or interest me. But for the longest, and I'm not saying this was last year. I'm saying when Facebook started to gain that momentum mid, uh, what was it? 2000, you know, five, six, eight, nine. In the beginning days, it took a long time for me to separate the two of them because for whatever reason, I just felt like they were two, they were in relationship building this powerful social media platform. And so when I think about what you said, 
I honestly feel like the shine of Lean In from 2013 is it is definitely going to lose its luster. And that when we think about her in generations, not in generations, but in a generation, folks that are in their 20s now, maybe early 30s, I think that when those individuals become, you know, full fledged adults, family, thinking about where we are in Web 3.0, thinking about where we are in terms of politics and social issues. I think that people will look back and say Facebook was evil. Um, let me let me qualify that a little bit. Gradually became evil, and I think that in in the end, she is going to take a far more negative hit than Zuckerberg will. Oh yeah. No, she abs- I, I think she absolutely will. I mean, we think about um, we have a bet coming up, right, with uh, Thanos. Is it Elizabeth? Uh, Theranos. Elizabeth. Yep. Elizabeth yep. Holmes. Theranos. Um, and I'm watching the, the dropout right now on Hulu. And I don't know a lot about the relationship between her and the COO or the CTO or whatever he was. Um, but he was a much older man who seduced a very young woman and but she's the one that's that we're talking about right we don't talk about him we don't talk about that part of of the story she's a female leader who fucked up a lot of things and did a lot of things wrong but the person that we talk about is her and we don't talk about mark in the same way we talk about cheryl and and so i think that there is just a a lesson to be learned, and I'm not sure what that lesson is yet, about how women of power are vilified in ways that are different than men of power, and also how they're um, portrayed, right? So this morning, um, or this week, I watched um, the the French Open finals, and Coco Graf, she lost. She's like 18 from the U.S., just a very poised and, and beautiful young woman. Um, but the way that they talked about her loss was very, very different than the way they talked about the loss on the men's side. Can, can, can you can you add some context to that? Yeah. Like like when, when you say when you say the way that they talked about it. Are you saying that they were far more critical? They were a bit more endearing and understanding. They were aggressive. Add some context to that. They were far more emotional. Let me say it that way. So Coco is very emotional too. She, she cried at the loss. She apologized for losing. Like she took this on herself as a woman that was so different than the way that men take a loss. Um, but the way the media talked about her is, you know, how young she is, how immature, you know, she is yet as a player. Oh, that she flew her family and her brothers came in to watch and how disappointed they must be that their 18 year old sister did not win the French Open. She was at the finals. She was at the championship. And, you know, with the guys, it's just like, yeah, no, this is great. Everything's fine. You'll go on, you'll play again. It wasn't like the end of the world, but they treated the loss for Coco like it was the end of the world. And it 
I know coming back and watching out of that, she's going to feel even more pressure to perform because of the way the media covered her. And I don't think it was an intentionally bad thing to do. It's just how we think so differently about women in positions of power, in positions of success than we do about the way men compete and, and win or lose in business. So I want to understand. I just want to make sure I understand your observation there. I, I, I got the, um, the picture the way that you painted it. How does that land with you? Are you suggesting that that difference is, in this case, Coco Graph and the, the male version of, of, do you feel like it was good for her? Do you feel like it was not good? I feel like it would. I feel like it will not be good for her. Yes, not be good. Okay, yes. got it. Because I, I heard that part. Yes, you know when you said when you said she's going to look at it. So I wanted to hear yeah. how you felt. Got it. And I do think that it perpetuates stereotypes about women. It perpetuates stereotypes about young women. Um, in the way that we just have those conversations as the media as you know the pundits that be in the sports world whatever those guys are called um and it's something i've just started to notice that i never noticed before um and i think the conversation that you and i had about elizabeth holmes god i think it was at the beginning of the year um started that thought process for me yeah um you know, I think it's just uh, it, it, it's a bit of our divorcing ourselves from what we've we've been groomed to believe to be applicable. Hopefully that comes across the right way. We we do have these gender norms. We do. Like I, I tell you all the time, I I'm protective of the women in my life. I'm protective of women in general. You know, that's the one, two punch for me. I'm going to open the doors. I'm going to walk on the side of the street closest to the vehicle. I am going to be sensitive to their emotions because I believe that they operate and run differently than the emotions of many men. So I know that I could be a bit wrong in perpetuating some of that as well. And so there is a bit of divorcing that has to take place with me personally, uh, giving more, I guess, giving more space to the ability for women to do some of the things that I'm like, what, why would you do that? Like, why would you even want to do that? Like, that's, I, I'm not trying to do that. Why so I, I I understand that there's there is this process that we have to go through. Um, I don't know. You raise a good point, um, and you 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 are absolutely right. All I know is Elizabeth Holmes. I can't remember another man in that scenario. I remember Elizabeth Holmes. Of course, she was the face of the company, but you are absolutely right. So, uh, real quick before we get out of here, though, I do want to direct our listeners to um, yet another act of inclusion. Uh, so the Associated Press style book adds inclusive storytelling chapter with updates on covering race, gender, sexual orientation, and more. Uh, this story was actually over on Pointer, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. 
And I appreciate that the AP um, has finally evaluated how they cover and curate stories and said that we have to do a better job. I loved it. Uh, And while we won't go into the story, I just really feel like this is something that we should all as leaders in organizations be doing. Can our organization do better? Can our organization do better? One of the things that I do want to highlight, Jay, the new entries include instructions to capitalize deaf when referring to the deaf culture or deaf community, guidance to use they, them, their as much as possible when referring to people who use those pronouns, and the recommendation not to use the abbreviation CRT when referencing critical race theory. So those just are are a couple of the highlights of the new, um, I guess, style book that the AP is is going to be leveraging. And I can appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of great topics this week. Uh, Let's catch one more ad break and then we'll finish up with her voice. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So our Her Voice segment is where we amplify women making moves. And first up this week is former Accenture song executive, creative director, Eva Naveau, was appointed global chief creative officer of EG Plus Worldwide. Um, one of Omnicom's global content and production arms. And then we have Linda Burney, who this week became the first Aboriginal woman to hold the role of Indigenous Affairs Minister in the Australian government. Um, An alternative reference for Indigenous, in case you didn't know, is First Nation. Um, Burney says you cannot divorce those present day social justice issues from history and the past, pointing to the legacy of previous governments. Under the assimilation policy, First Nation children were for for decades during the 1900s forcibly removed from their families to be raised in government and church institutions or by non-Indigenous families, a period now known as Stolen Generations. She says, I get very annoyed when people say, just get over it, get on with things. It doesn't work like that. Can you imagine? Like, just, I mean, you don't even have to answer. Just just give me like a head nod. I'm watching you. But can you imagine your children being forcibly removed from you? We've seen this movie before. And she's not talking about something that was happening so long ago. This is current. I appreciate, um, you know, the the posture and the steam in which Miss Linda Burney is going into her her seat in office. Former Huffington Post and Guardian U.S. managing editor Jennifer Coe will become executive editor for the Chicago Sun Times. She will be the first woman of color to lead 
the 178-year-old newsroom. And finally, golfer Michelle Wee West, who began her professional career at the age of 10, uh, reflected ahead of the U.S. Women's Open and her expected retirement. When asked how women's golf has changed since she started, she said, when doors get closed on us, we just keep pushing. The USGA recently increased the prize money for women's tournament to a closer to gender parity $10 million with the earn, the winner earning $1.8 million. Ah, oh, so much room, so much work to be done. Our quote for the week, I wasn't saying no necessarily for me or because I was angry. I was saying no because I hope that there will be more equality in the future. That was said by actress Arden Cho on her decision to leave Teen Wolf and turn down the opportunity to star in its sequel because she was offered lower pay than her white and or male co-stars. Our quick mention this week is from the Wells Collective. Their Accomplices in Action series is returning. Now, listen, because of the date that we put the pod together, we missed their information session, but uh, the series starts. It's a six, um, six session series. It starts on June 22nd. Spots are limited. So for more information, visit thewellscollective.com. Again, thewellscollective.com. And once you get there, click on the events tab. And finally, a name drop to the newest member of the Crazy and the King family. Uh, Trisha Lannon has joined us as managing our social media. So please uh, keep an eye on those social media pages. Follow, click, share. Uh, Trisha, welcome to Crazy and the King. Thanks, Trisha. We close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and define your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture teams and workplaces. For now, Jay and I are... How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.